0: The Tom Woods Show, episode 1507. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, as you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been spreading some pretty terrible ideas, and she's wrong on just about everything. Well, I've put together the definitive smash of all of it. The Green New Deal, affordable housing, so-called, free college, high tax rates, it's in another free ebook. Yes, a free ebook called AOC is Wrong, The Upside Down World of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Grab your free copy at AOCisWrong.com. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. Dave Smith Week concludes today with a freewheeling QA. I've grabbed some questions from the Supporting Listeners group, the Tom Woods Show Elite. Membership into that and many, many other benefits besides are to be found at SupportingListeners.com. And of course, make sure and check out Part of the Problem, Dave Smith's podcast. Dave, welcome back for the final episode. Good to be with you, Tom. All right, this is it. This is the last episode of Dave Smith Week. We're going to make the absolute most of it. I want to, let's say, I jotted down a bunch of things during the week that I wanted to ask, but some of them I snuck into the various episodes. So I don't have as many that I want to ask, but I've got a bunch from the Supporting Listeners group. Uh, Supportinglisteners.com, by the way, should all be in there because uh, that's where the cool stuff behind the scenes of the show happens. I want to start, though, with one from me. Uh, You are, uh, I think, a very, very good spokesman for libertarianism, and you're able to defend it in a way that's interesting, accurate, and funny. But even you must feel like there are, maybe there's one or two issues where you understand the libertarian position, but you can kind of get why somebody else who doesn't see the big picture might not find it that convincing or that you yourself have trouble arguing for.
1: Uh, is there any such issue? Well, I guess there, there would be two that I would say are the um, the issues that I struggle with the most. And and I'll tell you, one of them is the immigration issue. Immigration to me is a really tough, tough issue for libertarians to deal with. And I like I'm sympathetic to both sides of the issue. I completely understand where there are these consistent anarcho-capitalists who go, no, 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 listen. And this is what my original take on, on immigration was. I was like, look, there's no such thing as immigration. There's no such thing as government lines. These are all made up social constructs. It's just a a person crossing an imaginary line. It's immigration should be moving. Whether you're moving from New York to New Jersey or moving from Mexico to California shouldn't make any difference. And we don't support the state violating the non-aggression principle. And that's that. And I, I still in my heart of hearts, you know, kind of feel that way. However, I, I get where, you know, I understand a lot of the arguments that Lou Rockwell and Hans-Hermann Hoppe and people like that who I have like tremendous respect for have made. And they, they raised some really good points. And of course, Murray Rothbard later in his, in his career wrote about a lot of this stuff. And I'll be honest, if I'm just being completely honest, I've never quite been able to get there from a libertarian perspective. So if I'm just following private property and the non-aggression principle, it's always been like, well, why do we get to make this exception for this one area? Cause if you're willing to do that, we could make exceptions all over the place. And then that basically compromises our principles and, and I'm not willing to do that that being said i see the current immigration you know if we were to just have open immigration tomorrow as being an absolute disaster and i know people will call you like racist for even suggesting this but the idea that we could just have people from third world countries pouring into our country right now when we have no culture that really defends freedom or free markets or capitalists and they can vote. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of illegal immigrants who do vote, and then the next generation is going to vote right away, and they vote like 80% for Democrats. I mean, I just look at the handwriting on the wall, and I go, this is going to be a disaster. This is going to be terrible for the prospects of liberty. So while I can't quite get there from a libertarian perspective, I also see it as something that's probably going to be a disaster, and I don't I don't know. You know, it's like, what would you rather do compromise 1% of your principles and save the other 99% or lose it all? So I have a lot of trouble with that issue that. So that's, that's probably the biggest one. The other one I have a a lot of trouble with is the, um, the tech censorship. I really hate the idea that the tech companies and Google and all these guys can just kick off people like Daniel McAdams or Scott Horton at their own whims. While they let these crazy leftists say whatever they want to and i understand the libertarian argument that like they're private companies and they can do whatever they want to but i really really hate it i'm not advocating the state do anything about it but it really bothers me and i understand why if some right-wing populist goes no you know what that should be illegal that's a little bit more attractive than some libertarian saying well they're a private company and they can do what they want
0: all right, let me turn now to some questions. Those were really good answers you just gave, by the way. Some questions that the supporters want to get answers to. And this is one I know you've covered a lot on Part of the Problem, but not everybody listening has heard those episodes. The question is, how has fatherhood changed Dave's perspective on libertarian questions, which are important, which are less so? Also, how has it changed his perspective on questions that aren't libertarian questions per se, but maybe of concern to libertarians? Well, you you interpret that however you like, Dave.
1: Well, um, you know, Tom, as, as you'll learn when you finally have some children, (laughs) uh, having kids changes everything. You know, when you, when you finally get onto your 18th child, uh, you'll, you'll understand too. Well, no, but, uh, you know, as you know, Tom, I mean, there's, there's nothing like having a kid in like, it's transformative in every aspect of your life. I mean, like every second of your day is different when you have a kid. And I feel, you know, I, um, as somebody who I have a lot of young people, a lot of young guys who listen to my podcast. And so I almost feel like it would be wrong for me to not let them know how amazing it is to be a father and, and and to be married and settled down and all of these things. And, and this is, I mean, it's a running joke on my show that I'm like a conservative. Um, but it, there is something that's really drastically changed in me where I kind I lived a very degenerate lifestyle for many years. And now I live a much more traditional lifestyle. And just given one guy's opinion, the traditional one is way better. There's way more joy. There's way more meaning, more happiness. And I I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's just way better. You, you, I understand the merits of traditionalism much more. And, you know, I mean, every, every second of my day, I'm taking care of the baby or thinking about her. And so it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to say, look, to me, the, the biggest changes in the non-libertarian stuff is your life is all of a sudden completely directed, you know, it's, it's filled with this central purpose. And the, you know, you, you kind of walk around particularly in today's culture, but I, I was a, a kid who wasn't raised, you know, I wasn't raised with religion. I didn't really believe in God. I do now, but I didn't really believe in God, um, as, as a kid. Uh, I wasn't you know raised in we didn't have a culture of like chivalry and tradition or you know, loyalty to country or any of these things that most people throughout human history have. And so you kind of just live this life of with the modern belief system that like life is about being happy. And so you're like okay well what do I want to do well I want to finish my homework so I can play video games or I want to go hang out with my friends or I want to go have a few drinks or I want to go do stand up comedy or just that this was always my life just kind of that was kind of the loose purpose I guess was to try to have fun and be happy and and it's really actually very empty there's no there, there's nothing noble about that there's no purpose in that And once you have a kid, it's like all of a sudden all of that changes and you know exactly what your purpose is and that's it. And my purpose is to protect and provide for my daughter and, and help her to be a good independent person. Like that's my purpose in life. So it's every, every inch of your life is different and, and it's really, it's great. It's really amazing to live for somebody else. And uh, my wife, Lauren, like she really brought that out of me. And like, she, she's really just made me a better person. And it's it's amazing. I'm, you know, I'm happier than I've ever been. I mean, like last night at 3.45 a.m. when the baby woke up crying, I wasn't particularly happy at that exact moment. But overall, I am happier than, uh, than I've ever been. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean about that <laughs> that situation. Well you had a thing you had like the domino effect where one baby wakes up and wakes up two other babies and wakes up and well, then you well know,
0: thankfully we didn't yeah, we spread them out and we got, <laughs> you know, a sizable house uh, once it became necessary. Um I asked Mark Claire, I don't know if you know him. He's the host of, uh, of the Lions yeah, of Liberty.
1: I've, I've been on many times. I love Mark okay. Claire,
0: Okay, good, good, good. I had him on uh, just the other day and uh, we were talking to him about living in Los Angeles and you're around a lot of people who are not only unsympathetic, they really just don't even understand you at all. And I'm sure that's also true in New York and maybe it's true in the comedy world. So how have you navigated that? And I wonder if Legion of Skanks is part of your answer.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it is, but I kind of, You know, I kind of uh, made a little place for myself in the comedy scene before number one, before my politics were so out there. And before this, you know, this era, like politics have always been somewhat contentious, but it's not, it it hasn't been like it has been the last few years. I mean, like the last couple years of Obama and really the the first couple years of Trump, it's like where, you know, this, this full fledged culture war is, is going on and people are fighting. So I kind of, I established myself before that era and I was funny and I was genuinely, you know, generally I should say, uh, considered funny in the comedy scene. So you kind of, I, I kind of got a pass from a lot of people and they knew that I knew stuff about politics that a lot of them don't. So I just was able to almost get grandfathered in, in a way. Whereas if I was coming up that way now, I think it would be a much tougher road still probably from Legion of Skank stuff and other stuff in my, my politics. I'm never going to get a, you know, some, you know, network show or something like that. But honestly, I don't really particularly care about that. I like what I'm doing better. So, you know, it's obviously there's a lot of that stuff. I mean, but, you know, I just kind of my thing, I I decided a long time ago that I'm just going to be me and let the chips fall where they may. And that's what I do.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's how you should live. I have a Somebody did actually ask about this. So this is not just me being uh, self-promoting, but somebody (laughs) did ask about this. Uh, They want to know about your impressions of the Contra Cruise. You came on the second time we had it. Scott Horton was another guest. You and Scott are also scheduled to join us on the 2020 cruise. Uh, Contracruise.com is the website. Uh, Can you just take a minute to just share with people your impressions of that?
1: Oh, I mean, look, it's the Conjure cruise is incredible. That was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. It was so much fun. I met so many great people who are like lifelong friends who I met on that cruise. And it was, it was just so much fun just hanging out with a bunch of really, really smart people who kind of think like you think. Great conversations, a lot of great fun, uh, you know, a cocktail or two. It was uh, was just incredible. And I'm really, really excited to go back on it next year.
0: I'm really looking forward to it as well. And the combination of you plus Scott Horton, you just can't beat that. you (laughs) You cannot possibly beat that. So definitely looking forward to that. Somebody's asking about something that I guess is gonna come up for you in the pretty near future. Now that you've had a child, do you... Do you think about like the philosophy of parenting or are you, are you just thinking you're going to wing it? Like, for example, you know, a lot of libertarians and, and Stefan Molyneux talk a lot about so-called peaceful parenting. Is this anything that you've had time to look into or think
1: about? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in peaceful parenting, and I'm sure there are like some you – know, I, I don't know if I'd agree on every last detail – with Stefan Molyneux, but I, I absolutely, I don't believe in, in hitting children and yelling at children. I like that's, I I'm, I'm a big, big believer in that. So I'm on board completely. And I do think that there's something interesting for a libertarian to think about that. It's, you know, I, I think it's in general, the way we, we regard children in society is somewhat crazy. I mean, it's like the only group of people the only group that it's just acceptable that you hit them um you know if you, if i were to say like my wife isn't acting the way i like her to act so i give her a slap everyone would be rightfully horrified but if you say the same thing about your kid that's somewhat accepted and that that just seems crazy to me i actually think from my perspective it would be far worse to hit your kid than to hit your wife i mean my wife has recourse I mean, first of all, she's Italian. She might win that fight. Um, but then on, on top of that, I mean, she can leave me, she can call the cops, she's got whereas the kid has none of that. And I do, you know, I'm very conscious of my philosophy on parenting. I, I, I really believe on, you know, that it's your responsibility to help your child develop at every single uh, you know, turn that it's that you should always be putting them first. I, I believe that, you know, me and my wife chose to bring my daughter Layla into this world. She didn't choose to come into this world. So now we have a responsibility to put her first and her needs first at every turn. So yeah, very much so.
0: All right, very good, very good. Now, I'm obviously not in favor of hitting children, but I never really like read anything about peaceful parenting. I I never said to myself, I'm going to follow this particular philosophy. I just more or less, I more or less did it. But yet there are definitely ways where I fell short of that. And so as I continue into the future, I'm much, much more consciously uh, following that strategy um, as opposed to just kind of winging it and occasionally doing the wrong thing. Um, I'm much more conscious of it. But anyway, this is about you, not me. So let's <laughs> let's go on to to this one. And this is actually from somebody you would know from the Contra Cruise, but I'm gonna keep everybody anonymous so that you all understand what is in the supporting listeners group stays in the supporting listeners group. <laughs> and uh, this person says, is backing libertarian political candidates even worth it in his opinion? With the lock that the left has on the media and the sheer difficulty of getting money and exposure to third-party political candidates, it seems like the political process is fairly dead to us as far as getting leaders who will actually enact change. If this is true, what do we do? Has he seen the libertarian philosophy affecting the way people think who don't identify as libertarians, meaning Do we have a chance of influencing the mainstream politicians to become more anti-war and more freedom-minded?
1: Is he hopeful in this regard? And if so, what are the best ways to focus our resources? Well, I mean, I think that politics can have a big influence on people, and I think it's just you have to have the right candidate. You have to have the right messenger, and, uh, you know— like we we mentioned in the previous episode i mean look at what was happening when ron paul was on those debate stages compared to when when he's not and and ron paul is still around and still doing really great work i mean ron paul does the Liberty report with Daniel McAdams. It's phenomenal. It's one of the best uh, shows out there on the internet. I mean, five days a week, he is attacking the warfare state, attacking the empire, attacking the fed, breaking everything down in a completely logical, coherent, consistent way. But he's not on those debate stages. And I think we feel that loss in the Liberty movement. So I look, I, and this is part of why I was doing that, that debate the other day. I think if you look at something like the libertarian party on the national platform, they have a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous opportunity. I mean, they're going to be, you know, you're going to be looking at two just terrible candidates. You're going to have Donald Trump, who's going to have an approval rating somewhere in the 40s, who's going to be going through this ridiculous impeachment proceedings, uh, who's going to be, you know, like, you know, he's Donald Trump. hes He has very high negatives. And then you're going to have like Elizabeth Warren or, you know, it looks more and more like it's not going to be uh, Joe Biden. You're going to have like somebody who is like a fake Native American who's got the the charisma of a bath mat uh, running again. And then you got a party that has the word libertarian in it that has ballot access in 50 states that, you know, might get a lot of media attention. They certainly did last time. If they were to run a really good candidate there, I think that's a golden opportunity. The issue is that it's got to be a really good candidate. So, yeah, I mean, like the, I, I still think there's a lot that we can do. I think that people who I mean, people like yourself who have been in the libertarian world longer than I have probably have a better understanding of this. And then people like, you know, Walter Block or someone who's been there a lot longer than you, he probably has an even better understanding. But it's easy for for guys like me to go, oh, man, the liberty movement doesn't have the juice that it had in 2012, 2013. This sucks. But if you compare it to like where Murray Rothbard was with like seven people in his apartment, we're doing pretty good. Libertarian is kind of like a mainstream term, thanks to Ron Paul and and Tom Woods and people like you guys. And there's a lot of us out there. And to me, it's it's pretty obvious. OK, so our goal is that we just need to get more and more people who see it this way. We need to convince and convert more and more people. We need to double our numbers and then double them again and then double them again and double them again. And that's I, I think that to discount politics is like, well, the political that that can't be part of it. I think would be silly.
0: I think you'll recall from the Contra cruise that Scott Horton took me aside at one point during the cruise, and I think you found out about this later. And he said to me. You have to run for the LP nomination for president. He said and, and he I'm gonna he said a lot of complimentary things that I won't repeat, but he just he said you can make the case and you're a good speaker and all and Like he was but he was way over the top in his compliments and he was saying that I've gotta do it. I've got to do it because I'm the best chance we have. I thought oh boy, are we in trouble? And <laughs> I just told him there's just no way I can do it. So I want to ask you, Dave, you are very well-spoken and and, and, uh, you're very hardcore. Would you absolutely 100% rule out ever doing that?
1: Well, I oh man, I I was really getting ready to put you back on the spot and you turned it around on me. Okay, here's why you're the guy to do it and I'm not the guy to do it, all right? You have to have, uh, listen, I do believe, I'm, I'm like, putting modesty aside, because I've heard a lot of people, particularly after I had that debate at the Soho forum the other day, there's a lot of people have said this to me and I get where I get why they would want me. Like I could handle being on a debate stage. I could handle, you know, I've done a lot of cable news shows before. I'm good at that. I can, I, I get why people would want me. The problem from my perspective is that saying, you know, it's like just being like, oh, here's this comedian who's like read some books and thinks he knows better than everyone it is not going to be a great way to present our ideology it makes it very easy for it to be um discarded. Whereas if you had someone who you go, well, this guy is a graduate of Harvard and Columbia, is a New York Times bestseller, has written all of these you know, amazing books, a very popular author, a senior fellow at the Ludwig von Mises Institute now. And that guy can give a great speech and really knows what he's talking about. Now we've got ourselves a chance. So I'm going to agree with Scott Horton and say, you are the guy who needs to do this. And that probably some Legion of Skanks tapes would surface that wouldn't make our movement look great.
0: Yeah, but you know what? Look, anybody doing anything is going to have something surface at some point, right? And that's and I, true. I I love that that passive word surface. <laughs> as if they just spontaneously come to the surface from as, as if it's not people pulling them from down where you try to put them, right? Wait, were we being recorded
1: that whole time? Yeah. <laughs> I was just I was just talking with my friends.
0: <laughs> right. I don't know what you, I don't know how this could have happened.
1: Well, I guess All I right. could just say it was locker room talk.
0: Yeah, that's apparently you can get away with that. <laughs> Somebody wants to know. Now, let me ask you this. You, you know, you've been on Fox News and Fox Business and then you had a gig for a little while on CNN. Once that came to an end, were you welcomed back at Fox or are you in kind of a limbo or what's going on?
1: No, I was, I was welcomed back at Fox primarily just cause, cause Kennedy is there and she is just, you know, like Kennedy is the best and I love her. And she's just, she's always been really great to me. She was the first one who ever put me on television and she's just, she's always happy to have me on. And I'm actually going, uh, um, tonight to go record, uh, an episode of the Greg Gutfeld show. So I'm, uh, you know, there, it was, it was pretty easy to come back to that. That, that happens a lot in the cable news world where you'll kind of, um, if somebody gets a, a contract with one company, they disappear from that other channel for a while. But I you know it was it was pretty easy to come back. And I thought it was a really great experience uh, at CNN. It, it was like good money and it was good exposure, um, better money than exposure because the, the ratings on the show weren't great. But I really enjoyed a lot of those moments that I had. And it was fun to get into the mainstream media world because Fox News is kind of its own thing. Um, it was fun to be on, on that show with Se and, and to challenge some of those guys. And I, I, I'll being completely honest, I miss it a little bit. What was the first TV appearance you ever had? It was Kennedy. Kennedy was the first one. She, uh, um, they, I, I don't know how exactly she found out about me. I believe it was, uh, this comic, Sam morell Uh, it was really, really funny guy, a great person, a comedian here in New York city. And he, uh, he, I think uh, knew her or knew the booker of the show. And he told her, he was like, oh, if you're a libertarian, like there's this comedian, this guy, Dave Smith, who you got to have on, uh, he was always like a big, a big fan of mine and I'm a big fan of his as well. And, um, he's, so I think he introduced us and then they reached out uh, to me and they were like, Hey, you want to do this? And I was like, absolutely. I would love to. And it was exciting. I, you know, I'd never been on uh, on television before and i was you know uh, at this point already like a, a soldier in the li- in the liberty movement i was you know really into all of these ideas and fox business was the station kennedy was on and this is the station that had judge Napolitano's show on and had Stossel's show on so i was like oh this is this is amazing like this is where the libertarians do cable news so i was really excited to go do it and it, w- it was a great experience and i've always you know kennedy her whole staff they're great um and i met andrew heaton there and a lot of other really great people uh so it's a great experience still love doing that show
0: All right. Well, as we're coming to the end of Dave Smith week, let me ask you to look ahead into 2020, but not the election. No, into the life of Dave Smith in 2020. Do you have anything on your bucket list you want to cross off in 2020? Anything you want to accomplish in 2020? um, Any ambitions, anything new you want to try on the show? Anything like that?
1: Well, I mean, my, um, my, my main ambitions, you know, professionally are, uh, I want to, I want to put out the uh, comedy special. That's better than Libertas. That that's my goal. That's like, that means a lot to me. And it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be better. And I don't mean like numbers or making money or anything like that. Just in my opinion, I have to be like, I think that was a better comedy special. I don't want my follow-up to be weaker than my debut. And I just want to keep growing the audience at part of the problem Keep doing cool things that I love to do and uh, keep telling the truth as I see it.
0: Well, actually, that leads me to one more question. What do you think you're doing to grow the audience? I mean, you kind of hinted at that earlier, but are these just things that you're naturally doing anyway, like going on television? Or are you actively saying, today I'm going to make this video so that I can grow the – I mean, I haven't seen you make videos lately. but You know what I
1: mean? No, what I try to do is just keep, I I try to go on as many other shows as I can and make them as good and interesting and funny and, and, you know, like as possible, that's always kind of been my, my method, get on as many shows as you can for, for as much self-promotion, grow my social media as much as possible. But really what I try to do is just make the show as good as I can. I think that's the best way to organically grow and actually grow in a way where you're keeping the people that you bring on board. So I don't really, you know, I mean, I try to do a, like a show on the topic of the day that a lot of people are talking about, but I I kind of believe you don't want these like kind of cheap gimmicks to get a bunch of people over for one video. I want to get people over, you know, who are like buying in and are going to be with me for the long run. So that's, it's not a very complicated formula. Try to get on as many big podcasts, as many big shows as I can, and try to make sure the show is as good as I can make it.
0: Well, that is – I was actually selfishly asking you because I was thinking, how can I grow my audience? Let's (laughs) see what old Dave is up to. So uh, part of the problem is the podcast. GasDigitalNetwork.com is the site where you can join as a – you can join the site. You get uh, extra benefits. But you can also be a cheapskate if you want to do that and just listen to part of the problem on your various devices without doing that. But I actually uh, have a subscription at Gas Digital Network because you – I think there was one thing you did that I wanted to see right on time as soon as it came out. And then I never canceled it because I thought, I like what they do at Gas Digital Network. And so I just want to send them money. So that's basically what
1: I've continued to do. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I also am a supporting listener of your show, of course. I appreciate
0: that. I I appreciate that support. So um, tomwoods.com slash 1507. Uh, as with all the other show notes pages for this week, we'll have links to Dave Smith and, and the stuff that he does. So you can just head over there, tomwoods.com slash 1507. Well, we've come to the end of Dave Smith Week, Dave, and uh, we are all deeply grateful
1: and wish to thank you for your service. Oh, it was it was an honor. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Tom.
0: All right, that is Dave Smith Week. I hope you all enjoyed that, folks. And one of the things Dave said was that it was around the time of the Ron Paul campaign, of 2007, that he started to pick up on libertarianism and and make note of it. And that's also the time of the financial crisis. 2008, things just went south completely in a lot of different areas. And that was a perfect time for Ron Paul to be on that stage, because only he had any credibility on that, and only he had any idea what was going on. I mean, you remember, I keep mentioning this because it's so critical. Herman Cain was saying the economy was fine basically a week before Fannie and Freddie went under. And he was saying that it was just a conspiracy against Republicans that was leading the media to say there might be something wrong with the economy. No, 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 everything's fine. So that is such an important moment. And we got that right. And that's why we got so many more people interested in Austrian economics, because suddenly we had an audience of people who didn't know what was going on. But one thing they did know was that all the customary voices we're told to listen to were as blindsided by it as anybody. And it's unfortunate, though, that there are people who act as if there was no Austrian response. And they continue to say, well, that financial crisis of 2008, that was caused by deregulation. And and, and stupid capitalism, which is destroying the planet, also gave us that financial crisis. All right. I bet maybe there are some people even listening to this who in their heart of hearts deep down think, well, maybe they're 20% right about that. No, 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 concede nothing on this. Our case is so ridiculously strong and you can find that out with your weekend homework assignment. Yes, I'm giving you homework over the weekend. I'm one of those teachers. Is to read my free ebook, The Deregulation Boogeyman. When you get done with that, You're going to say, I cannot believe people don't see this. (laughs) No one's going to want to debate you anymore because you're going to make mincemeat out of it. It's all the information you need. And it's it's not just to win debates. It's it's because it's a good thing to understand how the world works. So The Deregulation Boogeyman is the name of that free ebook, And you can get it for free at regulationmyths.com. That's the website, regulationmyths.com. That is your weekend homework assignment. And I'll see you next week.